you wanted more Pac-12 apostles, where you got more Pac-12 apostles. This is a quick bonus episode where we get to the things you guys want to talk about. You guys hit us up on Twitter. Shoot us an email. I'm mad. I-M-M-A-D at unafraidshow.com. We will get to you. And please make sure you leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Not a four-star and definitely not a damn one-star, which we are going to address today from a Utah fan. Um, He's Ralph Amsden. I'm George Reister. You can find us on Twitter under those handles. Follow at Pac-12Apostles. So, Ralph, where do where where do we start? Where's the beginning today? Well, I mean, I've been chomping at the bit to talk about this one-star review um, because I I had to figure one was coming. Um, <laughs> however, I'm not a hundred percent sure we we properly earned that one star review from this Utah fan. So let's give people a little bit of backstory to what happened. So we always encourage you guys to participate in the podcast and of course, leave five star reviews. And we were joking on the last episode about Ralph being excited about a a four star review. And I was like, nobody wants four star. We don't play for four star reviews. But then, and we got to talking about Morgan Scaly from Utah. You got to call him Scally. That was part of our one star. Oh, review. Scally, Scaly, whatever. He's a he's a dope at this point in point in time for for what he did. But that doesn't mean we should not call the man's name correctly. And he's Utah's defensive coordinator who got caught using the N-word and apparently some Utah people don't like that it's being brought out or even voiced people voiced an, an opinion about it. So, Ralph can you please, for the people, read the one-star review for us? Do I have to? It's so long. It's... Okay, I mean, okay. Just give us the Cliff Notes version. Well, here, here's the thing. I want to... I, I want to... Before we even get to it, because I know that it's it's fairly common for people to read it, uh, to read something, then go back and um, and then try to, like, I guess, rebut... I just want to say, I just want to say, like, from the jump, we did not call for this man's job. Nope. So, I I want that kept in mind, that we did not call for this man's job. And the other thing that I think is really important to remember is Morgan Scally admitted to it. Yes, that was the thing he, he said suspended. in the review. Right, he, he was right. like, so "How do we know that this even happened?" Yeah, Fool, so, he admitted to it. So I, I just want to put those two things out there before I read this review from Gorilla Bears with a Z. Uh, the title of which was "I can't even fathom how pathetic this episode was." Uh, and the episode was more than just about that. But all right, here we go from Gorilla Bears. I've listened to the podcast for a few months now and have liked it decently so far. The episode that came out today was utter trash, though. <laughs> I I don't think I've listened to a worse <laughs> podcast episode of my life until today. I usually don't have a problem with creators interjecting a little bit of their personal political beliefs into their content, mostly because if I did, there would be nothing for me to consume. But these two decided to take it to another level. They started talking shit on all the current and former Utah players that were defending Morgan Scally, not Scaly, 
and acting like the players were delusional and stupid for defending his character. One of them equated the situation to a little girl that got kidnapped 20 years ago, but her kidnapper took good care of her like she was her real mother, but she still got kidnapped. Are you effing kidding me? Morgan Scally didn't even come close to doing anything equivalent to kidnapping a child. Everyone <laughs> everyone already condemns the use of the N-word, but it's never okay. It's never okay for anyone to use it. White, black, brown, blue, purple, etc. Wow. So we know this person's white. Uh, but for them to say he should be fired because of one word in a seven-year-old text when they don't even have all the information and facts about what happened is baffling to me. Somehow it didn't cross their minds that this seven-year-old text just so happens to now be coming to the surface coincidentally when racial tension is high, uh, but I'm not surprised that they couldn't put two plus two together based on what I was hearing from them during the show. I think the host is still butthurt about Utah walking into Otson in 2015 and spanking his poor little duck 6220. That's the only reason I can think of why he has so much hate for Utah, but it's time for him to let it go already. I already moved on from the ass whooping we took in the Pac-12 title game from Oregon a few months ago. But again, I'm not surprised they can't move on from shit that happened almost a decade ago. The other dude was saying some stupid shit about there's a thing called grace we need to learn to forgive. But immediately after saying it, he says Morgan Scally needs to be fired. This is unforgivable. Complete mental dysfunction. Again, these two don't have all the information. The person that claims to have the screenshots of the text hasn't posted it, so no one knows if it really exists or even knows what it actually says. I'm not saying a text didn't get sent because I think it did, but again, wait for the facts to come out before you start spewing nonsense like he said a no-no word. He needs to lose his job. One last thing. If players like Julian Blackman, Terrell Burgess, Marcus Williams, COC Mariner, uh, Derek Shelby, Nick Ford, and the supposed recruit the text was sent to, Raylon Singleton, guys that have spent years with Scally and countless hours being around him and getting to know him as a person, are all defending the man publicly saying he is one of the best people they know and is 100% not a racist. Don't you take their word over some random throwaway Twitter account that claims to have screenshots of the text, but still no one has seen anything? It's time to stop being so cringe and wait for all of the information to come out before losing your shit and, and scene. Dude, it's a, it's a fact. He admitted to it. And again, if you use the N word, it is a fireable offense. We didn't say that he should necessarily be fired, but it's a fireable offense. And I also specifically said, and I know that I said this correctly because I tweeted it first. So I, and when we were doing the episode, I went back to my tweet. I was like that there's a lot that can change in a person's heart in seven years, but you got to prove that there, that you, and I actually used the term epiphanous experience of pure religiosity, that, that something happened, that there was an impetus for a change in your life. So I am not mad at this one star review, Ralph, because if if people aren't mad when you're being honest and telling the truth and sharing from your personal experience, not based upon conjecture, but upon realness, then yes, you're going to make people upset. So I am more proud of this one star review than a bunch of five star reviews. Ralph, that is a five star review for that episode in my eyes. The fact that somebody took the time to type this out is pretty incredible. Um, 
I I love getting reviews. I don't care what star level they're for. I think it's funny that people have started giving us four star reviews. I listen to so many podcasts a day, George, and I cannot tell you, I cannot tell you I've ever heard of one that is just repeatedly getting four star reviews as almost a joke. And <laughs> so I'm honored to to really feel like we're, we're we're starting a trend here, a trend that you don't like, but. Um, I, Utah fans have to have to have a, a come to Jesus on some of this stuff, and they have to realize that when they come to Jesus, that he was most likely a man of color, and they, and, and they have to realize that this is not a white person's issue to deal with. You don't get to say who does and doesn't get to say anything. You just get to listen and Morgan Scally has an opportunity right now to listen and to potentially change. I don't think it's in anybody's best interest for him to get fired. If he got fired, I would completely understand it, but I don't think it's in anybody's best interest for him to get fired. I said, I believe what I said was I could see him taking a demotion for a year uh, and essentially having to earn his position back and prove uh, through whatever means necessary that he's willing to understand the difference in the, in the power balance between being a coach and a player and how much something like that can hurt. And I think that we got Utah fans that are worried about how this might affect them in recruiting. I think we've got Utah fans that are, you know, like our, our, our guy that was absolutely melting down on Twitter tweeting the N-word every 15 seconds the other night, that Utah pig bus Twitter account of the um, the, the the man of Asian descent who was just using the N-word as often as possible to show that, like, hey, you don't think you've ever used this before? Watch me use it a bunch. Um, that that type of stuff shouldn't go on, and that's like a Utah super fan. And, and it was interesting to see the reaction of Utah fans telling him, like, hey, you can't you can't do this. So they're willing to tell him like, Hey, you, this isn't helping us. You can't do this. But at the same time, some of them were, were turning around to say like, Oh, we need more context on the Morgan Scally thing. Um, th- there just needs to be kind of a, a, a reckoning. And I think that it could be a really, really good thing. Um, I think it provides an opportunity uh, because, you know, we, we often say stuff like ignorance is no excuse but at the end of the day, if you want to change hearts and minds, hearts and minds have to change. And this is an yep. opportunity for a lot of hearts and minds um, of Utah fans. And they're definitely not the only fan base that deals with anything of this nature. But this is an opportunity for for some learning and some understanding to take place. And I'm not 100% sure that that can take place if Morgan Scally's just fired and they have to they get to move on from it. The longer yeah. that he's around that program, the more people have to look in the mirror and say, all right, what do we need to do differently? Yeah, and I am a person who always believes that that exile is not the answer all the time. That it's an education issue a lot of times. And and some sometimes showing someone grace can be the thing that that causes them to change cuz you're like, "Wow, you could have fired me or you could have done so many bad things to me, but you didn't." It's it's like the Bible verse that says that you know that if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's uh whatever, because it's like lumping hot coals on on the top of his head. And 
there's so much that big because when you just exile people, it actually reinforces their beliefs instead of operating from a place of love, which love does mean that you do have consequences. That doesn't mean and forgiveness does not mean that you're immune from consequences. So if so, if he gets fired, it is what it is. If they keep him, it is what it is. But, you know, I think it should, like we said on the last episode, it should be up to the players a little bit. Um, next question, Ralph. So we got one from uh, Jedi ASU. He says the University of Houston was quite the false start that a team can learn from. Does this false start put more schools on edge? And and also, do you think other conferences would push forward where the Pac-12 holds back? And what he's referring to is the University of Houston had how many players, Ralph? Nine? Six or nine? I think it was six. Yeah. So they had players test positive for the coronavirus. And mind you, the Pac-12 put all these uh, precautions in place for players returning who can go back and start workouts tomorrow. Uh, well, on Monday. And uh, the University of Houston, when they brought their players back, guess how many players they tested? Not a damn one. They said they were going to wait until see if anybody was symptomatic. I don't know what Dana Hogerson or Tillman Fertitta is doing around there, but that's a that's a shoddy that's a shoddy job, dude. So to answer the question, he said uh, Houston was a false start. Uh, does this false start put more teams on edge? I would say no, because they didn't do any testing. So everybody's like, "You buffoon! Like, why wouldn't you do this?" So I don't think that puts more team on teams on edge. I think that uh, Central Florida, I think having 60 players test positive or um, uh, Alabama having players test positive, I think that that's what puts uh, schools on edge because now you're like, hold up, it's actually in our population. So then people who are high risk, whether it's some of our older coaches or people with pre-existing conditions are now at risk. So I think that that's what puts people on edge and not Houston because they did something stupid. Uh, what puts me on edge is like six out of the last seven days, Arizona's had over 1,500 cases. And so like that's the type of stuff that puts me on edge. California just canceling, making Jay Sarah cancel their road trip to play against Chandler High. Um or that it could have been a home game in California. I'm not sure, but either way, these interstate games between California teams and Arizona teams at the high school level are getting shut down. That's the kind of stuff that makes me nervous. I think that if programs handle it correctly and they make sure that tests are available and that people are spaced out and they're working out in small groups and everything that, you know, we can find a way forward, but you're not going to know until you have an opportunity to do it. So, I mean, I, I say that you, you you deal with the fires and you put them out as they come. And um, it, it'll be interesting to see which players, you know, we see NBA players and MLB players all expressing their opinion on what they would be willing to do and not willing to do. And there's all sorts of stuff going on. It'll be interesting to see how much power your random collegiate player has if they decide, you know, if somebody who's a big name decides, I'm not doing voluntary workouts. There's no reason for me to put myself at risk until I have to be in school. 
Exactly. There's no reason to do it until, until there's a reason to to do it. But uh, do you think other conferences would push for where the Pac-12 holds back? I would say yes, because <laughs> I think the Pac-12 specifically uh, with the with Stanford, Washington, the state of Oregon has already um, put ease, well, stop their reopen for seven days. You have COVID numbers going up in California. Like I think it was like thirty four hundred positive cases to today, <laughs> and then deaths lag behind. So. This feels like, hold up, are the is testing going up and positivity rates? You know, like you that's one thing, but you always have to consider that. But you're like, whoa, people aren't going to be willing to shut down again. So yeah. how bad would it have to get for things to get shut down is the question. I don't know, man. There's so much peripheral stuff going on all over the country right now. Seattle, Washington has a police-free autonomous zone. You know, is that going to extend to the University of Washington? And then all of a sudden we'll be the Pac-11. Is 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 UW going to go independent uh, and, and, and shirk all authority? You know, freaking Tucson is on fire. One of my groomsmen is uh, up on, in, the, in the Catalina Mountains uh, trying to contain what is something like a 70,000 acre burn right now. Fort Collins, Colorado had a had a member of their football team, a Colorado state football team uh, out in Loveland doing some roofing held at gunpoint by some old person who's watching so much. I don't know. One America news network that he thinks that someone wearing a face mask in the, in the age of coronavirus is Antifa. Like it, no, nobody's safe. Nothing is certain. The, these are absolute crazy times, whether it's natural disaster or disasters of our own doing and of our own making things are weird. Things are weird right now. And so I'm starting to believe the schools when they say, Hey, it might just be better to get us all under one roof and allow us to get everybody in the same place and take care of them. Because the thing that I worry about the most, and you, you saw Clemson's players take play uh, uh, part in a, um, in like a, a big, big protest in Clemson, South Carolina today. Well, my biggest fear is that some of these young guys you know, get wrapped up in, in some of the clashes that are going on um, and, and, and are cost an opportunity or potentially cost a lot more than that. Um, there's a lot to take into consideration. And I'm starting to back the idea that, you know, it might just be good to get all of those young men together um, and give them the opportunity to be in places where, where they can focus on the task at, at hand, you know, um, that that's just, that's starting to be my opinion. Anyway, I think there's guys out there that I've listened to talk about some of this stuff, whether it's Jimmy Lake or Kevin Sumlin. And I think to myself, like, man, they, though, though these kids would be better off just going to Seattle or, or going to Tucson and not being put on lockdown, but just get, given something to focus on. Um, because I don't want to be reading any headlines that anybody got mixed up in anything or got thrown in jail or worse. You know, I, I, I that's the last thing in the world I want to see right now. Absolutely. Um, now on to what people said to you, um, we had, Oh, Oh no, sorry to, to me. So recruiting is going crazy right now because you have 
um, which which we'll cover on the next episode about recruiting, where rankings are, and all of these things. But um, I've been going down the message board rapid hole, Ralph, and it's just berserk how fans are always ready to jump off the ledge on the ledge. But I can tell you overall right now, Pac-12 recruiting is not, aside from USC and Oregon, it's not going well at all, period. It is not. <laughs> there are, USC and Oregon are, are absolutely killing it right now. Um, I think they have a combined 29 commits or something like that. Uh, most yeah, of them and are 13. incredibly talented. USC is actually getting some of, their, some of the elite California talent to stay home. They've got Jake Garcia and Miller Moss, two of the top 10 players in California, both happen to be quarterbacks, are both currently committed to, to USC, as well as uh, Ma'ageo Teote, I think I'm saying that right, out of out of uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, Bishop Gorman, he's a, he's a USC commit. And then you just had a huge, huge commit, the number two player in all of California, Troy Franklin um, from, uh, from Menlo Atherton. He just gave his pledge to, to Oregon. So those two teams are doing really well. Everybody else is struggling. <laughs> I, I, there's, no, there's no other way for me to put it. Stanford has four commits. Arizona State has five. Um, it looks here like Colorado, at least on the rivals rankings, Colorado and Arizona are both dead last with three. And one of the big issues there is that a bunch of colleges that struggle to get anybody before signing day have 13, 14, 15 recruits already verbally committed just because of the the strange times that we're living in and people wanting to make sure that they, um, that they secure a spot before everything fills up. So, I mean, Central Michigan has 12. Western Michigan has 13. James Madison is not even an FBS school, and they're ranked in the top 100 in um, in uh, the rivals recruiting, the team recruiting rankings right now because they have seven commits. James Madison University has seven commits, and that's more than Colorado and Arizona combined. That's terrible. Like, Look at Bowling Green has nine. Bowling Green has nine. Northern Illinois has 13. I honestly, outside of outside of UCLA and Washington is doing pretty well. Um, if this was a regular year, you'd look at Washington and saying that they're doing really well. Um, but SMU has 10 commits. Toledo has 15. Toledo. Yep. Right now, Toledo's the number 38 ranked team in the country. Wake Forest has 15. So it's crazy to me. Yeah, but it's only June, Ralph. It, it, it's only June. Don't panic. I'm like, yeah, okay. And um, this year, this year it's okay to panic. If you're already panicking, then you just get a panic discount. You just get a panic <laughs> about other stuff. And just include it in in your eternal mental scream that you have going on it's oh it's completely okay to do that <laughs> uh, the next question why do washington fans think they're a blue blood when they've only had two good seasons in the past 20 plus years uh why do washington fans think they're a blue blood explain to me what like 
are we saying that Washington fans put themselves on the level of Alabama, Auburn? What what are Not we saying? Not Alabama, are we... but but okay. Auburn, like like that they think that they are a blue on blood U- program, like USC and Oregon's level. Yeah, but no, no, no. But but Washington fans don't think that Oregon's a blue blood. But is that the rivalry? Is that the rivalry talking? They say because they haven't won a national championship, so that doesn't make them a blue blood, even though that they have shared one. Um, I mean, but okay. True, truthfully, here's the, here's the thing: when you look at Washington, literally since nineteen nine, I'm sorry, since. Yes, since 91, when they shared, uh, got voted half of a national championship, they've had um, four seasons of 10 10 wins or more. Four. Since 1991, Ralph. Four. Like, it's just hard to be, like, it's hard to add a bunch of seven and sixes in there. Eight and four, seven and four. It's just... One of those things, I look at it, and they've missed a lot of bowl games and all that stuff or haven't won a lot. So it's like Washington is a program that should be respected because they can be good. They have shown the ability. But I don't see, like like when I think of Washington, and I'm a Pac-12 guy, like I don't put them on the left. Like if 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 – you were equating it, Ralph, to other conferences. Who would you say Washington is in, like, the SEC? In the SEC? Um, great fan. Oh, they're going to hate this because, because of the whole copyright lawsuit or whatever. But um, great fan support, strong teams, put a ton of people in the NFL, but rarely win the conference. They're Texas A&M. Yep. That is not a bad comparison. That's not a bad comparison at all. Because if you were looking at the history of the conference, Alabama would be, well, USC would be the Alabama of the conference. You know what I mean? Like, so, and I, and I think that that's a good comparison that that Texas A&M thing is. Um, And if they were in the ACC, they would be, you know, I guess what Florida State is now, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like not not what they were because truthfully, like they've been better. Like watch uh, Florida State's been been better. So I just think that Washington is a team who has Jimmy Lake as their head coach now. Chris Peterson helped elevate the program back to that respectable level because they had just been kind of middling for a while. Yeah. And I do think that they do have a chance to take it to the next level because they have put a ton of guys in the NFL. But um, I heard a comparison that people believe that Jimmy Lake could be the Clay, I mean, the Clay Helton. I didn't mean Clay Helton. I meant, um, uh, oh, Lord, what was the Oregon coach <laughs> before Mark, Willie Dagger? Hel- Mark uh, Helfrich. Helfrich. Yeah. Mark, Mark Helfrich. They're like, is he the Mark Helfrich for Washington? And, you know, and recruiting is not necessarily at the level that they thought it was going to be. You know, I think that 
yes, it's still only June, but you don't want to have to scramble for a class. You yeah. want it to come together kind of smoothly throughout the year, like USC and Oregon are doing right now. They're, I mean, they're five and 10 in bowl games in the last 21 years, five and 10. So, it, and, and Ty Willingham and Keith Gilbertson, they never even made it to a bowl. So it, here's the thing. Here's where I set the the benchmark for Jimmy Lake. It's, are you better than Steve Sarkeesian? Because you, Steve Sarkeesian is really who righted the ship. He, he turned things around there. He got the recruiting going again. He, he made them respectable and he was good enough to get the attention of USC. Right. So, um, but he only went 34 and 29, but he had to rebuild. Jimmy Lake doesn't have to rebuild. So I guess that's, that's what it comes down to for me is, are you, are you better than, I guess, the later seasons of, of Steve Sarkeesian, um, of go him going seven and six, you know, three times in a row and finally breaking the mold and going eight and four, but then they still went five and four in conference four years in a row. Can he get six conference wins? If he can get six conference wins, then I think they should feel pretty good in that first season. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. Like, and then, and then at least get two of those not, well, if, if you only get six conference wins and so do you think they beat Michigan or lose to Michigan? Uh, neither team really has a quarterback in place right now. Honestly, I, 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 I want to give that one to Michigan. Um, okay. So then th- that only puts them at eight wins. It puts them at eight and four then. Yeah, and then if they can get a bowl game, I mean, then that'll be better than that'll be better than Sark ever did. <laughs> yeah, but they weren't happy with the eight and five this year, though. Um, and the last question is, I I don't know why we ended up with some Washington hate on uh, here, um, but it, it, all you Washington fans, make sure that you guys send in yours because there is no, we are no discriminator or a person. So if you send it in, even though I'm an Oregon guy, I will address it. Um, if you only beat your rival five times in the past 22 years, can you even brag? By the way, UW is ass. Brag about what? I mean, I think there's plenty of stuff that Washington can brag about. Um, they brag about that stadium. I mean, they can brag about uh, those Nike uniforms are 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 nice. They can brag about all the NFL. No, no, no. They talent. they have Adidas uniforms. Now, oh, they're Adidas which, now. Yeah, Damn, it's, it's not the move. Yeah, it's not the move. Ah, see, when I think of Washington, I think of the. I do too. Of that gold swoosh, man. I didn't. I didn't realize that. Yep. I like. I love Adidas for some teams. I think Adidas is the right move for a lot. My, my my Wyoming Cowboys just moved to Adidas. I freaking love it. But but yeah, that's crazy. When I think of Washington, I think of Nike. I, I don't know how I let that one slip my mind. I, there's a lot of stuff that they they have to be to be proud of um, 
and I get the rivalry hate and everything like that. Here's another one. We just got a late breaking question. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy about this one. It's just, uh, who do you think will be the surprise team? Um, if anybody this year, and that's from Jennifer walk up, um, which team, Oh, she asked two questions right on. The first one is which Pac-12 team is likely to surprise us, good or bad, this season? And which game is most likely to be the tell game for each Pac-12 team this season? Um, well, I think the 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 tell game is going to be everybody's biggest out-of-conference game if they're even allowed to play out-of-conference games because everybody's got – not everyone, but most teams have one right? That's kind of the, I think what University of Arizona has Texas Tech, I feel like that's about on the level of uh, of, of being able to determine whether or not they're going to be able to to be competitive. Um, We got Michigan, we got Alabama. Those are the games to me that are definitely the most important because the Pac-12 is going to do what it does and beat up on each other. That's definitely going to be the case. And and as far as which Pac-12 team is most likely to surprise us, good and bad, um, I think the bottom could drop out for USC. I think that we're we're basically depending on Keaton Slovis to be healthy, and he hasn't. You know, he had the elbow thing and the concussion. Um, I think they're wholly dependent on him. That's my opinion. Uh, and I That's think them, a fact. Be, them being bad would be a surprise. And I would also say that there is a legitimate possibility if Stanford loosens up a little bit with the number one recruit in the country under center, that we could be surprised by Davis Mills in that offense. I would say for me, the biggest surprise could be Stanford. They are that David Shaw needs to let like get rid of that antiquated offense. It's not going to work. Intellectual brutality is dead, dude. You got to sling the rock around on some level. You don't have to go air raid, but you do have to have much more balance and not just play conservative run and punt football. Like, that's that's not going to work. But um, the other team that I think that could surprise would be I think that if I think that Arizona State and UCLA have huge potential to surprise because they both, well, I I would say that Arizona state, because they have a good quarterback, especially in Jaden Daniels, like that they have an opportunity to do something fantastic. But if you look at Jaden Daniels stats, they weren't super impressive, but he's just a winner. So it could also regress in the other way as well. If his stats don't improve dramatically, you could be looking at, you know, uh, uh, you're you could be looking at, oh man, I thought this kid was so great, but it turns turns out he's Manny Wilkins 2.0. Um, in terms of non-conference games for the most important games, I would say Washington and uh, Michigan. That game's huge for the conference and for Michigan. I'm sorry, and for Washington. Like the conference needs Washington to win that game, and I'm rooting for Washington to win that game. Oregon and Ohio State, even though it would likely be an upset if Oregon wins that game because Ohio State's going to be favored. But still, like that would be a tremendous win for how people view the conference. And I would also say if USC can hang close with Alabama, like not get the doors blown off, 
that that even if they lose and it's like a three point loss and then USC goes on to have, you know, 10 wins, that would be a huge win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's I like it. Good podcast, George. <laughs> yeah. So you guys, this is the quick episode. So you guys leave a five star rating, of course. Unless you're, I don't know if you're a Washington fan, I guess you may be super mad about this, but um, we're going to keep bringing you guys super good content. You guys keep hitting us up on Twitter at Ralph Amston, at George Rice, or at Pac-12 Apostles. Shoot us an email. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. Peace out. Catch you guys in a couple days.